0: Week, I was sharing with you a message called The uh, Signs of the End Times and uh, we went, I'll just read a couple of scriptures and, and touch base on what we did last week for those who weren't here and then we're going to flow on to some other things this time. And uh, of all people, Christians should be the most positive. Man, we're supposed to be filled with hope. Hope has to do with a great, amazing future ahead of us. Yeah. And so if you look at the, the media and you look at the world, you look at all the things going on, you have every reason to feel a bit depressed or a bit down or a bit discouraged or a bit cynical or a bit disheartened. But if you look at the Word of God and what God has to say to us about what lays ahead for us, wow, we should be the most positive people of all because we, we have an insight to what's coming. Yeah just need to search the Word of God and find it. Let's have a look in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 24, and uh, we pick up the context of the message. Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus went out and departed into the temple. His disciples came to show him the magnificent buildings of the temple. They were just amazing. And Jesus said to them, Don't you see, Do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another. Everything will be thrown down. And uh, then he goes on, and uh, he begins to talk. They, the disciples come to him as he sat on the Mount of Olives. Verse three, disciples came privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? Asking virtually two questions When will the temple be overthrown, and what will be the signs of the end times? And Jesus answered and said, Well, take heed, no one deceives you. And the first thing he warns at the possibility of deception. We'll touch that again a bit later. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See, you're not troubled. These things must come to pass. The end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. These just the beginning of the sorrows. This is the beginning of like a childbirth. And he says, they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. There'll be false prophets, will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures till the end shall be saved. Notice he's Warning about deception and his encouragement of the need to persevere in our faith and our journey. He said, "For the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, then the end will come." Now, just uh, as we start, I just want to just just go back to a couple of the things uh, that we touched on last week, and we shared uh, just and talked a little bit about the massive global shifts that are taking place. Where we're living in a time when there's massive global change is occurring and uh, America has has been a massive power on the earth for for as long as I've been alive and now you find out its power is weakening, there's all kinds of turmoils going on and so uh, people get a bit anxious when they see what's happening in the world. We see the, uh, the, the impact of the, uh, the, the current, uh, um, uh, the, the, the war, 9-11 war, that, uh, that attack, that caused a change in the world. There were other things that have happened since then. Of course, now this COVID uh, and the SARS that went before it have caused an upheaval that we can't be so sure everything's going to carry on like we expect. So mostly we carry on and expect everything to be unchanged and then when something like this comes and your whole world is shaken, many people become fearful and anxious and so uh, there's of course yet a coming economic uh, issue going to come. Funny after I preached this message last week I opened up one of my news feeds that I look at and here it had Rumors of Wars was the title. And it talked about what's uh, the looming war between Pakistan and China and then other wars and other places that are happening around the world. So if you look at the headlines, you'll start to see many of the things that we talked about. How many read about, the, uh, for example, the plague of locusts that's going around? And uh, it, it's of a, of a size unprecedented. The, the, these plagues of locusts are so big, they cover 100 square miles. That's just full of billions of locusts. And they're in, uh, in, uh, in, in Africa and then also up into some parts of Asia as well. So when you have that kind of play come, then you have after it famine. So anyway, so we see those things in Jesus' uh, in Jesus' statements. So anyway, the things we looked at was that, one, number one, there were global shifts taking place and there were more to come. Number two, we saw that God is in control, that God has the beginning and the end worked out and he has all things under control. That doesn't mean events in the earth are under control. It means in the bigger plan, God knows and nothing is taking him by surprise. Then we go on and we saw then that Jesus uh, revealed signs to watch out for. And uh, we read in one place, for example, how he rebuked the religious leaders in Matthew 16, verse 1 to 3, said, You guys, you're religious leaders, supposed to know the Bible. And he says, You can tell the signs uh, of the weather, you know. (laughs) <laughs> you know, red sky in the morning is the shepherd's warning. You know, they could see all the signs of the weather, and it's the same here. We we all go by seasons here. Everyone knows. You look out now; it's winter. you can tell it's winter. You can read the signs. Trees are bare, and, uh, and and we our whole everything here works on seasons. He said, "Well, you can read all these natural seasons, but you can't read the signs of the times." You had the Bible with all the prophecies of my coming, and when I come, you don't even know where I am. So, he's, what he's saying is, he's giving a heads up that it'll also be like that in the last days. And so in in Luke 9, it tells us there, he wept over the city of Jerusalem. He grieved over it. And this is why he grieved. This is why he grieved. He grieved because he said, you didn't know the time of your visitation. You didn't recognize in the season of history what God was just doing in your midst. And because you didn't recognize it, he said, now your enemies will come against you and will destroy you, which happened about 70 years later. So notice, just in those kind of contexts, he's saying it is important that we be aware of what's happening in the world and relate it to what the word of God says, not to opinions of people, right? Okay then, so he then uh, gave, and this is what we saw last week, Uh, we saw the first sign was, uh, uh, first sign were wars and natural disasters. There would be wars and rumors of wars nation against nation ethnic wars kingdom against kingdom global wars or conflicts there'd be famines pestilence earthquakes so he said all of those things and you look at them you see them you have a look you see covid 19 you see the riots that are taking place that are in every nation of the earth pretty well uh, all kinds of issues that are happening that are kind of almost unprecedented is a a looming glo- global depression they're just printing money and have been like it's just going out of style you can't print money without a consequence And the consequence is that there's going to be uh, an economic upheaval in the world. The the low interest rates, for example, have affected the ability of pension plans in the United States to be able to provide for the future. So uh, a few years ago they said they'll all expire in 2045, now they're saying 2030. Suddenly it's decreased. Because the amount of money they can gain and uh, by investing is so low, it's not keeping up with the demand that's coming. So, before by the 19, by twenty thirty, the American pension plans will all collapse. So, what happens then when there's no money to provide for elderly? see so we're living in a season of unprecedented change and we're not to be ignorant of the signs not to be afraid of them we're just to to, the bible says to look up when you see these things coming fix your eyes on jesus not fix your eyes on the circumstances or carry on like nothing's happening it said the second sign would be widespread hatred towards christians and if you have a look through the world and start to read some of the material and watch what's really happening you'll find there's unprecedented persecution of christians across all of the world the uh the just look up persecution of christians christians and on you google it you can find it it's very easy to find and then you look and look for statistics and then you find that literally there's more christians being killed now than at any time in history around the world but we're away in new zealand we don't see these things become informed about what's happening look for the signs look for the signs and uh, a, a third sign that we mentioned last week was the sign of offenses that many would become offended many and if you have a look now one of the big issues is people get offended you have a differing opinion, and now they suddenly get wound up and angry and offended, and they walk away. You try to talk to people about issues, they get offended and, and rise up. That, that tells you, that's what Jesus said many will be offended. Many, many. And there's going to be a big problem of people being offended very easily. Are you offended very easily? Oh, well, uh, who knows? <laughs> Wait till your next offense comes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how huffy you get. I found Christians get very upset very easily over little things. Mostly when you try to give them a bit of feedback on how they could grow or how they could change or how they could do something better, then they get huffy. Okay. Okay, let's go on. I want to go to some more signs. Interested in some more signs? Because here's another one. Here's the next one I want to go. The fourth sign is there'll be many false prophets. Verse 11, many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Now, three times in, this book, in Matthew 24, Jesus warns the disciples about deception. So three times he says, look out, don't be deceived. Look out, don't be deceived. Here's the thing about being deceived. You don't know you're deceived. You think, what do you think? I'm right. They're wrong. That's what happens when people are deceived. So he warns three times. Now, if Jesus tells you something once, it's good to listen to. Twice, now he's really getting attention. Three times, he's saying, this is a big issue. Deception, believing you're right when you're wrong. And uh, of course, there's a remedy for that. So he then says that there'd be lots of false prophets. And uh, false prophets essentially draw people to themselves and not to God. So if I just take away the word false prophet and I just use instead people that are very spiritual that draw people to themselves rather than building them to the kingdom of God and Jesus, that would be a false prophet. They, and so they appear very spiritual, had encounters, all kinds of things perhaps. But what are they drawing people to? And there's some distinct signs. So a false prophet will draw people to themselves, not to God and his word. And the message that they have will lack the essence of the gospel repentance and a changed life. So. If prophetic messages are all about all the great things that will happen and don't call you to repent and to transformation, something's essentially missing at the core of it. Prophetic messages always have a change, or put it this way, admit you were wrong and turn to what's right so God can bless you. That's what repentance means. I was wrong. I turn around now, this is what God says. This is right, I'll, I'll follow that understand so so repentance is called a foundation for your faith in other words it's something you don't just do once you continue to do all your life every time you realize from the word of god you're wrong god i'm wrong i ask you to forgive me i turn around and now i embrace your truth and walk in your truth that's what repentance is it's a change of heart change your way of thinking see so that's what the false prophetic will lack a call to repentance and to transformation and often draw people by fancy words or or experiences or things like that. Here's the characteristics that the Bible says. So This is not my opinion, this one. This is exactly what God says in his word characterizes people who move in a false prophetic. Remember, it doesn't mean they don't talk about God. It just means they draw people to themselves and they do certain things. It's quite easy to see, here it is here. And uh, here's the characteristics of false prophets. Number one, it's found in Jeremiah 16:14. They fail to address the real hurts and issues of people. It says, here's what I've got against the false prophets. They heal my people lightly, saying peace, peace, when there's no peace. So, no, to heal lightly means they talk about external things but don't address the real need for heart change and this is one thing we've been passionate about since we've been here, is your need for and our need for heart transformation. So they fail to call people to repentance and transformation. The message is one of you'll be okay. God loves you. God's going to bless you. Everything will be fine. Listen, that's a false hope if what you really need is change. Okay, we'll give you another one. Here's another one. It says uh, in Jeremiah 16, 14, it says they prophesy peace when there's no peace. So, in other words, they flatter people and tell them what they want to hear instead of warning them what's about to come. When did you last hear a message on the fear of God? When did you last hear a message on eternal judgments? When did you last hear one on standing before the judgment seat of Christ and giving account for your life? Did you understand? The current Western world has moved from the essence and core of the gospel, which is uh, transformation, walking with God, repentance, and, and, and acting in faith, to a message which makes you feel good by promising you blessing after blessing. So it's all on the blessings, what God can give to you, how you can benefit, which is all not requiring you to have a transformed life. And that's why we've got churches in the West full of people who attend, but there's no the rest of the week, they're not really doing anything to build the kingdom of God. That's deceptive message and it's plausible and it gathers a crowd because it appeals to people. In other words, tell me how I can get ahead, but don't talk to me about changing my life. That make sense? Yeah, it's very widespread, very widespread, very widespread, and don't talk to me about deliverance especially. Now You'd be amazed how many churches are totally resistant to the deliverance ministry. Deliverance has to do with transformation of the heart, transformation of your character, transformation of your life about freedom. So if you're not, if there's no message that Jesus paid the price for you to be delivered from demons, then that means you're going to just continue with them. That's a false peace. It's a false peace. false peace. Here's another way of saying, suppose I had rust in the car, and I say, ooh, rust in the car. I know mean, what we'll do, we'll just sand it a bit and paste it and paint over it. that's what they're talking about here healing the people's need lightly instead of everyone knows if there's rust in a car you cut out the rust put in some fresh metal paint it over and then you've got something that'll last if you just paint over it it looks good however the rust is continuing and soon the problem will be severe to the point the car may be off the road okay here's another one it says in Jeremiah 23 verse 16 and 17 it says they speak visions from their own heart and not from the Lord so you notice they're speaking what's coming out of their own heart, saying, oh, God is saying this, God is saying that, I believe, blah, blah, blah. But they're failing to address the issues of people, failing to address the real issues of people, that people actually live a life that says by the way they live that they deny or they despise God and despise his word. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, is this is this how you know his follower. If You follow him, you keep his commands. You take the word and you apply it into your life. So saying you're following Jesus means nothing unless you're following Jesus. To follow Jesus means we're serving him and letting him change us. And that means his word is very important in our life. It's very, very important to see these things. And so he's talking about the false prophetic or a message that promises much but actually doesn't end up with transformation and doesn't warn people about things that are to come. Like if I told you, for example that you had 24 hours and you were going to finish your life on earth and stand before God and every detail of your life would be before him to see what you qualified for for eternity, what would you go home and change? And that tells you where you're living. So we're to live with eternity in mind all the time. And then it's not whether anyone's watching me. I'm always under the eye of the Lord and I'm always living to please him. So how I do marriage, how I do family, how I do finances, how I treat people, how I relate to people, how I build my life and priorities is all got one fundamental thing. I've got an audience of one I'm trying to please every day of my life in every moment. Now, if you think that way, and why am I trying to please him? One, because he sacrificed so much for me and I love him in response. Two, there's a big outcome for me for eternity in this. How I respond to him will affect me for all eternity, my destination. Not just heaven and hell, but really the realm that I will live in for eternity. So, so he says that the false prophets speak a vision of their own heart. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, They present as sheep, but inwardly a ravenly wolves. What does that mean? Here's it simply like this. They present as sheep means they look like Christians. So you can't tell them from, they just look like that. They come and praise the Lord, brother. They come in with their stuff. It says, but inwardly, they have an agenda. So a wolf wants to devour, wants to take something from you. So the true prophetic We'll have Jesus as the focus and lead people to experience him and confront anything that's in the way. That's why deliverance always takes place around the true prophetic ministries because there's a real need for the demonic to be shifted off your life to encounter greater atmospheres of God. Anyway, so those are things. <laughs> and, so, and, and finally, 2 Peter 2 verse 1, he says, They bring teachings that cause disunity and division. So whenever you find that people are divided, not by the truth, but by teachings that flatter, make you feel good about yourself, make you very important. Oh, brother, you're going to have a great, wonderful ministry. Well, here's the thing. God calls everyone to greatness. There is a path you take. It's called humility and serving. So if all the words are always great, wonderful things about the future, you've got to ask, what are the conditions entailed in all of this? There's a part that I've got to take in this. What's my part? So the tendency uh, that false prophets have is to uh, move, and the agenda is often to make money, to exploit people, to draw a gathering to themselves, to bring some latest kind of thing or whatever. Now, with, there are true prophets, of course, but here's what Paul's warning was. This is what Paul's warning to Timothy. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all sufferings. So what he's saying? He's saying, this is what the remedy is because of that. Preach the word of God. Not a hang a scripture in on your own ideas, but rather see what God has to say and proclaim it. Right? And then it says convince. In other words, persuade people to follow the truth. And it says rebuke. In other words, confront people when they're missing the mark. You don't know, get a lot of that these days because people are all afraid they'll upset someone. But If they're wrong, they're wrong. Tell them they're wrong. Then you're doing them a favor. You're showing you love them. Okay, then. So, and then he, then he says, four, verse, 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, for the time will come, the time will come. So, which time do you think he's talking about? He's talking about the end times. The time will come, and what will come? There's something going to happen. It says, this is what will happen. It says, when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, he says, the time will come in the church where people don't want good, sound teaching, they don't want sound doctrine oh yeah yeah, yeah, I don't want that you know that? but you need to be a student of the word of God sound doctrine means sound teaching and sound teaching has a purpose sound teaching is bible teaching that establishes you in your faith and in maturity and this is why many people many young people when they walk out of church go into the cities they get into an environment where there's another spirit operating very strongly and they haven't got sound doctrine you have had a great experience. Oh, it was great. Someone prophesied, I got a touch from God. I love all of that. That's wonderful. But you need sound doctrine. Yeah. Sound doctrine, teaching, shapes the way you think and what you believe. So when someone comes up with some weird thing, you don't believe them because you know the Word of God. You've got a reference to the Word of God. If, you, if you're not in the Word of God, how will you know the truth? and uh, so he says he says so the time will come let's talk about the end end of the times it says people will want messages that make them feel good they won't want things that change them there are some truths here's the thing about truth it's incredibly uncomfortable and so you we're, we're in an age where there's this thing of tolerance Just include everyone, accept everyone. That's fine to include. It's fine to accept. But tolerance is another thing. Tolerance is we go along with what they're saying and believing rather than standing up and saying, well, that's actually wrong. That fornication is wrong. It keeps you out of the kingdom of God. Homosexual acts are wrong. They'll keep you out of the kingdom of God. Pride is wrong. It'll keep you out of the kingdom of God. Gluttony is wrong. It'll keep you out of the kingdom of God. There are many things the Bible says will keep you out of the kingdom of God. Do you know what they are? They're in the word. They're spelled out two or three places in the word, very clearly. Okay? So he says they won't endure sound doctrine, but he says they'll have itching ears. So he describes a condition where people uh, itching ears means this: it means that your ear's itching. You want someone to scratch it. What it mean is something like this: is you want people to tell you the messages you like to hear. Oh, you'll be great. You'll be marvelous, wonderful. grown, you're just fabulous. Now listen. There's a place for encouragement, exhortation, but not for flattery. Having itching ears means you, you want something, you're you looking for the things that, that are nice to hear but don't challenge you to change. I had a friend of mine who's a pastor who a message which was truth at a very significant world conference and was told afterwards, don't preach that. And that was about the rightful role of men and women working together in partnership under God. Hmm, how about that? That's a big conference. Big, Famous. about that so it says it says they'll turn it it says they'll have itching ears in other words they're looking for messages to make them feel good but don't require godly living living right okay and here's the next thing it says they'll turn away their ears from the truth so if you're not going to incline your ears to the truth uh, then you'll turn your ears away to something else so here's the only thing that keeps you from deception having a love for truth a love for truth i love the truth and if i'm wrong i'm wrong tell me the truth See, that's what keeps you from being deceived. You all know people. You look and think, you really, you're not in touch with what's going on, you know. Someone needs to tell you something. Well, maybe you're that person. <laughs> have you got anyone can tell you things? That's why we have a body of people to be part of. Because maybe you can hide in a big crowd, but in a small group you get there, you can't pull off your junk in that small group. They all see who you are and say, come on, cut that out. That's why small groups, small groups are a great chance to grow. You're kind of connected in relationally, and you can't pull the wool over everyone in a small group. And if you're dominant and bossy, either you go, or the group just breaks up because of your bad influence. So someone in leadership needs to tell you, listen, don't do that. It's not all about you. It says they'll turn to fables. They'll turn to fables. So here's the thing. If you haven't got a heart that's turned towards truth, God, teach me. God, I'm hungry for the truth. I want your word. I want revelation. I want the spirit of revelation. I want sound doctrine. I want to grow. I want to be established. I want to live my life by the word of God. It says you'll be turned to fables. Fables are fiction stories. Christian fiction stories mythology all kinds of weird and wonderful things and there's a huge draw of people away from serving God and advancing the kingdom and attracted to experiential things that does that that make them feel good and give a, a sense of having all this knowledge of great things but actually when you look on the ground it doesn't lead to sacrificial love serving ministry That's why Paul said, he said, you know, sound doctrine. And he says, endure hardship, endure hardship, endure difficulty. And he says, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So what he's saying to Timothy, he's saying, don't just send around any experiences. You've got work to do. So he said, endure hardship because sometimes to serve God, has got a lot of hardship. There's difficulties in it because it doesn't always go well. You've got demonic opposition. You've got people opposition. You've got setbacks and difficulties. He said, just endure hardness. Toughen up. Be a strong believer. Not someone who's dropped over quickly. He says, you're called to be an evangelist, so do the work you're called to do. And he says, at the end of it, you want to end your life, I did what God called me to do. I fulfilled my ministry. That raises the question, what has God called you to do? And what has the ministries called you to? Are you preparing and developing? Okay, let's go to the fifth sign. The fifth sign. Lawlessness. The love of many will grow cold because of lawlessness. Okay. Matthew 24 verse 12. Because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Many means many. means lots of people. Lots of people, and it says their love, their love will grow cold. What does that mean? It means their passion for God will grow cold and they'll be lukewarm, half-hearted believers. What does their love will grow cold mean? It means they're no longer loving and serving people. Because if you love, you show kindness, you serve people, you have a great attitude to people, you have a focus on making life better, investing in people. And it says what will happen in these days is It is said that the love of many will grow cold. no longer passionate for the Lord. In Revelation 3, the low, low to see in church, Jesus said you've done lots of things, but there's no passion, no love, no fire. Where's the fire? Where's the love for God? The love for God is shown by willingness to do what He says. If you love me, keep my commandments. So keeping your passion for God alive requires I respond to Him, not just have great worship experiences. You've got, to, you've got to ask yourself, am I coming along and someone else is providing an atmosphere for me to be charged up or am I living a life where I'm constantly being recharged because of my own walk with God, my personal intimacy with Him? You can't live off someone else's experience. They encourage you, they bless you, they help you, they keep you going, but you can't live off it. So that really says, it says the reason the passion will go is because iniquity will abound. So what do I mean by iniquity? Well, that would thing we could say about it. But iniquity, here's the word. It comes from the word anomia. Iniquity, anomia. A means without. Nomia means law. Unrestrained, no boundaries. No boundaries. No restraint of the laws of God. And that expands no restraint of the laws of the nation either. It's a whole deep-seated attitude of wanting to do your own thing, to act independently of any boundaries, anything like that. So iniquity means to act without restraint, doing what pleases you without any respect for boundaries or laws. Now, you have a look what's going on in America right now. Firstly, there is real, authentic injustice and deep-seat wounding in the core of the nation among many people. There's no doubt that that's a very deep and true injustice. However, demonic spirits exploit unresolved injustice and turn it into iniquity and lawlessness that becomes destructive. So it's one thing to raise a voice and to challenge the system and to want to change the system. It's another thing to enter into wanton destruction. It's a spirit. It's a spirit that gets on people and they don't even know what's going on. They do things that they, they, they violate the laws of God. They show contempt for the law. They show contempt for boundaries. So where are you at in all of this? See, often the spirit of lawlessness just shows up in the attitude towards authorities when you encounter them. So all authority comes from God. So even if an authority on earth misrepresents him, doesn't act well, I need to keep my heart of respect for God and his authority and not now justify rebelling against what's in front of me. Remember what the Bible says? You love God, it's demonstrated by how you treat people, while His authority, His lordship, you see it by how you respond when, a, when an authority person comes in front of you. We're not to be afraid of them, and we're not, not to disrespect and despise, we're just to recognize that's what it is. So, uh, commonly, uh, lawlessness sh- is shown by independence, by disrespect for authority, abuse of names to people in authority, criticizing them, running down. It's shown by passive rebellion or defiance. Now, if you have a look at the, the methods of raising children in the last 50 years. And I, I mean, I've heard some things just this last week, and I thinking, oh, I just want to shake them. <laughs> their, their whole philosophy of parenting is never say no to the child. Now when the heck are they going to learn no is a part of life? When, when are they ever gonna, so what they learn is, my will is more important than anyone and anyone else. You've trained them in lawlessness. So in other words, the end-time spirit of lawlessness will be deeply connected to what's happening in families and the raising of children so that they get used to living with no restraints. You can't say no to them. You can't point out things that are wrong and change. Now, and all of that has got a rational thinking behind it, but actually it endorses the spirit of lawlessness there are such things as boundaries. And if you teach people healthy boundaries, they learn respect for authority and respect of God. If you don't have healthy boundaries, people learn nothing can stop me. I have what I want, when I want, how I want, and I get what I want. So they throw tantrums and parents give in. If you're a parent that gives in to your child's tantrums and gives in, lets them have everything they want when they want it, listen, you are training them in lawlessness. You are literally ruining them. Now, I tell you what, they won't respect you when you grow when they grow up. You will have problems later on. Now listen, we've got a great family. I'm proud of my children. Got seven children, seven wonderful spouses, got twenty-four grandchildren, and there's honor and respect flows through the family. Now there's a reason for that. It doesn't just happen. This principle she put into family life, into raising children, building family culture, and it has to do with the fear of God and respect. So if there's disrespect in family for those who are older, then you're going to have the spirit of lawlessness unleashed. This is a huge problem. And a lot of parents need to have a rethink what you're doing. You need to rethink what, where did you get these ideas from? Did you get them from the word of God? Or did you, these are the current things. Some of the stuff that's been current, I've been around long enough to see when they changed it from this to that, And years later they had to change it back again because they got it all wrong. But I was in confrontation back here because I said this is the right way to do it. And then and I thought later when I went to one of the schools and they're making this big announcement about the change, I thought, who will stand up and say we got it wrong for a whole generation of children are out there reading? Don't get me going. (laughs) Spirit of lawlessness. See so so lawlessness, are you getting the idea what lawlessness is? Okay, now here's the thing. Where does it come from? Where does it come from? Lawlessness originated in Lucifer. It originated. That's why he got kicked out of heaven. And so if he got kicked out of heaven for lawlessness, what's going to happen to your expectation of a great thing ahead of you if you embrace lawlessness? We can't embrace lawlessness. It says in, uh, it tells us there in, um, let's see if I can find the scripture for you. Here it is, Ezekiel twenty-eight fifteen why he fell from heaven iniquity was found in him now here's the thing whenever you allow lawlessness to come around you you become rebellious and dependent and either actively rebelling against authority or quietly resisting which is the most common form among kiwis say yes but actually no <laughs> that's what kiwis do they're known for it around the world they smile and say yes but inside they're saying no way and what outworks is a passive resistance, their will against someone else's will. Yeah, you know, I mean you're all seen that as a parent with a child. You tell them what to tell them to do something, and it's just a fight all the way because there's no willingness to do it. And it's a passive resisting. So here's the thing. When When you don't understand this principle around the kingdom of God is a kingdom with order and authority, you embrace lawlessness, independence, do my own thing. Guess what kingdom you become influenced by? The demonic realm of lawlessness starts to come around your life. You can be in church and under another spirit in all your life and how you run it. And so what you're seeing in America now, you see a spirit of lawlessness come on people and the, the end is always the same. It's destructive. It's destructive. Jesus said to, to, he said in Matthew 7 verse 23, he said, in the last days, he said, many, 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 will say to me, Lord, Lord, Lord. He talked about Christians. He said, Lord, we did miracles in your name. We cast out demons, we prophesied in your name. And he will, I will say to them, I didn't know you. There's no deep intimacy and surrender to be transformed and you're workers of iniquity. You did your own thing. You used my name, my gifts, everything I had in order to advance yourself. So the core of iniquity is an independence. I'll do what I want to do. And that's why Jesus died for our iniquity. Matthew, uh, for, uh, Isaiah 53, he says, we, we all like sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way, my way. And he laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the connection, iniquity, going my way. The only way to be free of iniquity is through repentance and understanding the principles of the kingdom of surrender from my way and I ha- we have his way. How are we doing on all this? You know someone probably need to hear that. You're probably thinking now someone needs this message. I'll get, I'll get it to them. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Okay, here's another one. Have you know, got time for another one? Man, i got, I got some more. I better get through these two here. It so here's the sixth sign. Here's the sixth sign. He says, as it was in the days of Noah. The sixth sign is seeing in the earth things that were in existence in the days of Noah. And the seventh sign is seeing things in the earth that were in existence in the days of Lot. There they go. And uh, let me give it to what they are. Here they are. 600. It says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. It says that in Luke 17, verse 26. Verse 27, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given a marriage till the day Noah entered the ark. The flood came and wiped them all out. So, uh, so if you want to find out what was going on, you've got to look into Genesis chapter 6. And you go through a few verses in Genesis 6, verse 1 to 11. And what was happening in the days of, Gen- of, of Noah? The first thing was there was a population explosion. Now, well, you didn't realize that. So in Genesis 6:1, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the faces of the earth. So people started to multiply and fill the earth. There was a population explosion. Number two, there was widespread engagement with the occult, widespread occult involvement everywhere. In Genesis 6:4, there were giants in the earth in those days. And afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them, these were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Now, I can't go into much in this. Let me just tell you what that means. It means there were some angels, they're called watchers. They were given an assignment by God to watch over men and to progressively instruct them so that there'd be revelation of technology and various other things, and man would gradually grow in their capacity to fill and, and take dominion over the earth. That says, however, the watcher angels saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And it says then they left their position and rank and they were involved forcibly in having sexual relationships with women. And the offspring of those are what's called Nephilim. The Nephilim were giants. They were giants. Uh, so when you read a mythology of the great giants that they talk about, these are the Nephilim. And not only that, the giants in the land, the, the, these, these, these Nephilim, they call fallen ones, they were giants and they were very brutal, very violent and they were taking control. The whole goal was to destroy the seed of the woman, to corrupt mankind. That's why God had to wipe it all out. And then there was another eruption took place, and some of the giants ended up in the land of Canaan that Abraham went into, and they had to, when Joshua came, these are the giants they had to overcome. They were the offspring. They're not natural. They're a mixture of angelic and human. They're, They're the result of a complete defilement of a cult into the earth. So it's a, there's a lot on that, but we won't go into that. We need to just go to the key things. So, so the, the next thing is there was widespread corruption of the imagination and thoughts of the heart. Verse five, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great. Every intent of the thoughts of heart and man was evil continually. In other words, there's a constant corruption in the heart and what people wanted. Here's the next one. and There was widespread lawlessness and violence. So some of these things you're seeing in the earth now are exactly what was in the earth in Noah's day. Look what it says. It says, Genesis 6, the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Here it is again, verse 13, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence. I will destroy them. So what does that mean, that word violence? It means injustice, use of force to injure people and abuse people and kill people. In the book of Proverbs, verse 4, verse 17, it talks about the wine of violence. In other words, violence becomes intoxicating and addictive to people. Now, think about this, the wine of violence. The earth was filled with violence, injustice. Now, you have a look what's happening in the earth now. The the violence is increasing. Let me give you a couple of things. You have a look. In the the 20th century, over 200 million people killed in two world wars. That's violence on a massive scale. Up to 300 million have been killed in the ethnic and other armed conflicts. In other words, more than in the war, the Great War, which is a world global war. What about this? 44 million in a year killed by abortion. Just look it up on the internet. You'll find, even if the information not completely accurate, there's enough reports that, that say the same thing to recognize that they estimate that there's about 44 million abortions. It's taking the life of a child. That's violence against a child. New Zealand, per capita, per thousand people, is in the top four in the world and will grow higher because of the recent law change while you weren't looking during COVID. So, so do you understand... There are things changing rapidly in the world. We need to be aware of that so we're prepared for the coming of the Lord. The, the next thing it says in Genesis 6.11 said there'll be widespread corruption in the earth. It says the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. Now, one of the most widespread forms of corruption today is sexual slavery. It's estimated, and this is why I looked up now, I'm trying to find the figures on it. Over 40 million people today across the world are in slavery of some kind or another, forced to do things that they would not do if they had the choice, forced marriages, forced child labor, child slavery. And uh, the estimate's a bit hard to get hold of, but I got the estimate that I picked up uh, yesterday was 25 million people in sexual slavery, human trafficking is a big, big business today. That's violence filling the earth. It's in every country. Every country. It's now and we just had just the other weekend. There's someone there for, cause, trafficking from the islands to here. Convicted. Napier. It's close. It's not far away. It's a global issue. Violence fills the earth. And the Lord saw it. See, you've got to realize that the things that we're seeing are symptomatic of a movement, birth pains getting closer and closer till we get to the end time, to the coming of the Lord. The other thing it tells us in, in the days of Noah, it, there was widespread resistance to the word of God. You find that in Hebrews 11:7, that Noah was warned by God of things not yet seen. Now get this, by faith, he built an ark. Now let me just put, I'll have to, I can't go on, I'm running out of time. If I just kind of tie it in around the days of Noah. God spoke to Noah because Noah was upright and walked with him. And what did God speak to him? He spoke to him, prepare. Why would he need to prepare? He said, God says, I'm going to do something you've never seen before. He said, I'm going to cause rain to come and floods to come. The whole earth will be covered with water. He said, rain, what's rain? In other words, he's speaking of something he had never seen before. In other words, no no one had seen it before. It had never happened. The Bible says there was a mist went up from the face of the earth that watered the land. The whole of the earth was covered with a canopy right around the whole earth. And so when he said, it's gonna rain and every place you can see will be covered with water. The only way you'll escape is if you build an ark. And I'll tell you exactly how to build and what to build. And it'll be for the saving of your family. And so for 120 years, he did something very very crazy he was the crazy man he was the real crazy prophet man he was the crazy who had this idea that life would not continue the way everyone expected that something was about to go down he was the crazy man that laid down his life to build something that his family would survive He was the crazy man that preached for 120 years about righteousness and getting right with God, and they mocked at him and ridiculed him. In other words, there was no love for truth. There was resistance to the Word of God. His message would have been repentance. If you don't repent, you can't be saved. Get this. If they had repented, they would have come and joined him in building the ark. And getting the picture here is isn't days enough? now. Now, no one knew what was coming until it came. And when it came, what were they doing? It says they were eating, they were drinking, they were laughing, they were working. They were having marriages, they were giving and receiving in marriage. They were doing everything normal. In other words, life was just going on. And then suddenly one day, something came out of the air they'd never seen before, spots of rain. And it says that the whole of the the depths of the earth were opened up. In other words, something they would never seen before, subterranean reservoirs of water came up out of the earth. And the earth, with the heavy rain and with the subterranean waters and with the the gradual progressive loss of all of that canopy over the earth, gradually, there there came a point where the whole earth was flooded and everything perished except those who believed God and prepared the ark. It says he did it by faith. What if we were to tell you there's something kind you've never seen, that no one has ever seen it? It's described in the Word of God in many different places. I've got no time to give it all to you now. But as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Noah, widespread demonic occult activity, widespread corruption, widespread violence, injustice, widespread slavery, trafficking, widespread resistance to the Word of God, that in those days, God had been planning something He would do. He's promised He'll never, ever destroy the earth by water, so you don't have to worry about the earth being flooded. He got something different in mind. Right. Now, here's the thing. M- many Christians, kind of, their biggest thing is, oh, we want to judge all the sinners and we're going to be right. You really want to get out of that mindset. It's not the heart of God that any man perish but all be saved. And so, and I haven't got time to get to it today. So one of the things, one of the signs of the end times will be that the gospel, the preaching of the kingdom of God in power will will spread through the whole earth. In other words, God so desires that people not perish. It says he's long-suffering, waiting, wanting no one to perish God is not willing any perish but all be saved so before the very end time when judgments start to come on the earth there will be the preaching of the gospel throughout the whole earth the gospel of the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom in the power of God bringing healing deliverance supernatural transformation so for that to happen God has got to raise up the church with a passion to spread the gospel in the power of God see so that's going to happen so why is that going to happen See, a lot of people think, well, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse, and they'll all get what they deserve. Now, that's not the heart of God. God paid a huge price for everyone to be saved, but not everyone's saved because they don't hear the message. Not everyone's saved because when they hear it, they don't respond. But God wants to raise up a company of people throughout the earth, like Noah, that believe, yes, something is coming on the earth. Yes, I see the sign of it. Yes, I will give my life to build the kingdom of God. I will give my life, I will lay my life down because God has given me a vision for what I must do with my life. I have a vision to build. Could be in teaching. it Could be in education. Could be in finance. Could be somewhere in the community. Could just be your family. What God calls you to build is not so important. It's that you do get into it and build. Build your life. Build your marriage. Build your finances. build Build the local church. Build a place where God's presence is. Come. Prepare to worship. Come with a heart that desires God. Come, come with a heart that knows things are uncertain in the earth, but God is our answer. God gives us the breakthrough. Come with a spirit of faith saying, God, there's, I can't settle for what I have. I want more of you. you know, we're just about to go into another season of fasting again. I, I need more of God. I want to know him. I want to touch his power and see people's lives transformed. Yes. Noah warned of God of things that were not yet seen. By faith, committed his whole life to building an ark. And the result was all his family, the next generation, were part of what God did. See, the next generation of your family, maybe you've made mistakes. It's not too late to start to pray for them and start to put things right and start to sow again and build. That's in your own natural family. But the family of God is bigger than our natural family. It involves other people. We need to be committed to build the local church. We need to be committed to build small groups, to be build places where God can come because we're praying and believing. It's not the how of it. It's just the, the, the function of it, that we gather together and build up one another and encourage one another and exhort one another. And when you come, come with the truth. Spend time in the Word of God. Bring something God is speaking to you about. Come, not with an empty life, but a full life. I'm passionate for God. I'm hungry for His kingdom. I'm seeking the Lord with all my heart. I'm in the Word of God. God is speaking to me and changing me. Oh, I have something to give. That's for everyone. Everyone for everyone. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand to our feet right now? Come on, I want us to give honor to Jesus. He is warning us of things to come. He's saying lift up your eyes. Take a look. You can read the signs of the seasons. Look at the sign of the times. Look at the time you're living in. Look at the time we're living in. How exciting to be alive when the greatest things that God has planned will come into the earth. Oh, how exciting. How glorious. God's glory will be seen in the whole earth. And we're called to be a part of this. Oh, we want to arise above. Come on, let's worship Him. Lift your hands to Him right now. Received. Unless you think you're doing okay and you're not. Get a love for the truth. And then as he goes through the parables, he says this, I tell you, watch, pray, watch, pray, watch, pray. Build your prayer life. Build your prayer life. Build intimacy with God. Spend time with Him. He begins to tell of the parables of the servant in the house who begins to abuse the other servants, speaking of having a bad attitude to the body of Christ. He talks about the virgins who were prepared, who had paid the price of intimacy with Jesus. He talks about the faithful servants who had served faithfully. Oh my, God is telling us, Wake up! Wake up, church! Wake up!
1: Wake up! we in times.
0: give the Lord a clap. Thank you, Lord. We honor you. We praise you. We bless you. We give you thanks. Our hearts are filled with joy and expectation for the things you're bringing into being. Amen. I want you to consider your own prayer life, your own walk with God. Take the message. Go back over it again. Ask yourself, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to me about? I couldn't finish it today. There were other things. You can read it. Read Matthew 24. Read Matthew 25. Start to think about it. Just ask the questions. The days of Lot. What was going on? What was happening? And you'll find it's happening in the world today. Read 2 Timothy 3. In the last days, perilous times. What will people be like? It says what they'll be like. You go around. You can see it now church prepare prepare say God awaken my heart awaken my heart I want to be like Noah who being warned of God of things not yet seen built an ark amen there's a great presence of God here We'll take that presence wherever you go. Carry that presence out in the community. Our prayer as a corporate body is for revival in our city, revival in our region, revival in our nation. Say amen. God bless you.